0: So, quite a full on parable there this morning. Jesus uses uh, some fairly strong language and uh, we're going we're to work through that. Um, but what do you think when, what do you think of when I say the words unbelievable offer? What do you think of? Uh, I came across this unbelievable offer the other day. I've put it on a slide so you can see the evidence buy two, get nine free. That's unbelievable, isn't it? That is a good offer. Uh, But what about this one? Buy two, get 40. I mean, that's, uh, don't see that very often. Those are unbelievable offers. And in today's passage, we find Jesus telling a parable about the most unbelievable offer, an offer that can't be refused. And uh, I hope that we can all imagine something more exciting than 43 badly made shirts. The offer just speaks, uh, Jesus speaks of is too good to refuse, but many do refuse it. You may remember from last week that Jesus told two parables that revealed what the religious leaders and the, 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 the priest, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the, the parables revealed what they were all about. And the setting for both parables was a vineyard. And the vineyard, of course, represents uh, the nation of Israel. The first parable, the parable of the two sons. Uh, Jesus exposed the religious leaders in action. Uh, they were supposed to be tending and caring for this vineyard. They were supposed to be looking after Israel, looking after God's people, bringing them closer to God, but they weren't. They were doing nothing that would help the vineyard produce good fruit. And in the second parable, the parable of the tenants, Jesus exposed the religious leaders' disloyalty. The tenants were supposed to be looking after the vineyard on behalf of the landowner, but they showed no love, respect, or loyalty to the landowner or to his messengers. In fact, in the end, they even killed the landowner's own son. And these parables were a clear and damning indictment of the Jewish religious leaders of Jesus' day, and in fact, those that had gone before as well. Today's parable is the third in the series, and Jesus is still talking to the uh, Jewish religious leaders. And he begins by saying this, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused. refused. So the king is throwing a party, uh, a wedding banquet for his son. It's super exciting. And what an honor and a privilege for those who have been invited. I mean, even today, even with all the travel and the holidays and the leisure opportunities, I mean, to, we can experience things today that people in the first century couldn't even have dreamed of. Yet in dis- despite all of that, Being invited to a royal wedding banquet would still be up there, wouldn't it? It's not the kind of thing that you'd turn down. If you lived in England and the Queen invited you to one of her famous garden parties, which were which are much more low key events than this one being described in the parable, you wouldn't say, nah, I've got a bit of work to catch up on. Or nah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my laundry. Got forty shirts to wash. (laughs) From our cultural standpoint it's actually hard for us to understand the shock factor of the invited guests refusing to come. And in that time and place, I guess there was the added incentive that refusing the king uh, might just embarrass or anger him enough that he'd have your head locked off. So you just wouldn't refuse the king. But the invited guests do refuse to come. So the king sends out his messengers again, this time with a more compelling, urgent invitation. Everything is ready. All this amazing food has been prepared, uh, this uh, this banquet, this big party, this joyful celebration. You're invited, it's it's good to go, all you've got to do is come. But then paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business, the rest seized his servants mistreated them, and killed them. Jesus, of course, is talking about Israel. The nation has repeatedly ignored God. They've been drawn away from God. We see that uh, so often in the Old Testament. And when God sent his messengers, the prophets, uh, they persecuted and even killed them. And very soon, the Jewish religious leaders will hand Jesus over to be crucified by the Romans. Should a king's subjects get away with ignoring and rebelling against their king? A king who is, by the way, entirely loving, benevolent, good, righteous, just, and pure. Should they get away with mistreating and killing his servants, including his very own son? Of course not. Of course not. And so we read in verse 7, the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And God's judgment did fall on his people in AD 70, about 40 years after Jesus told this parable, when the city of Jerusalem was completely destroyed by the Romans under Emperor Vespasian. And if that wasn't God's judgment, it was at the very least the consequences of them refusing To uh, recognize their Messiah, rejecting Jesus as their Messiah. Because they didn't realize or didn't want to accept that the Messiah had come, they uh, engaged in armed rebellion against the Romans. That's what led to Jerusalem being destroyed. Had they accepted Jesus, they would have gone with a different way, a different way of doing things. So it was at the very least the consequences of rejecting Jesus as their Messiah. But the wider point here is that rejecting Jesus leads to judgment. For the person who rejects Jesus, judgment and condemnation are certain. And Jesus expresses this in very strong terms. And you might have felt as that parable was being read, this is you know, quite heavy stuff. Jesus expresses it in those terms because he doesn't want anyone to be condemned. As it says in Romans 8 verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus came so that even though we'll be judged by God, we won't be found guilty, we won't be condemned because of what he's done for us. And that's what Jesus wants. So those who have been invited, Israel refused to come. Does that mean that the party's over? Not at all. Here's what the king said. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready. But those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now we know that it was always God's intention to bless all nations through Israel. Uh, We see that in the Old Testament with God's covenant with Abraham. And this really is the turning point. On the whole, Israel had rejected Jesus, or was about to, in the most definite terms, having him crucified. That's at a national level. Of course, it doesn't mean that no Jew can any longer enter the kingdom of God. Jesus himself was Jewish. All the first Christians were Jewish. Some of the religious leaders even became Christians, or so it would seem. Uh, The book of Acts talks about uh, Nicodemus and Gamaliel, um, who it seems that they, they converted. It's not that Jews are excluded from God's kingdom. Rather, from Jesus onwards, the Gentiles, the non-Jews can now be included. And we see that in the parable. The king's servants went out and invited anyone they could find. Anyone and everyone is invited to share in the blessings that God has prepared for those who love him. So who are these servants? who go out onto the street corners to invite anyone they can find. Well, in our context, that's us. It's you and me and anyone else who has bowed the knee to Jesus. We're the ones who get out there and make this invitation known uh, to, to everyone within our sphere of influence. Friends, neighbors, family, work colleagues, mild acquaintances. And you might say, I don't have time for that. Who do you think I am, Billy Graham? Okay, I get that. But at least have one person, at least have one person outside of the church with whom you're sharing the gospel. Don't have to beat them over the head with the Bible. You can uh, tell them something you enjoy about church. You can talk to them about an answer to prayer that you've experienced. You can invite them to something, invite them to church or any other uh, thing that we're doing. Have at least one person with whom you're regularly sharing the gospel. Actually, writing this made me think about how I use social media. Um, I don't post much on Facebook. I have a little group with my sort of immediate family that I post stuff on. They can see what we're doing. They're over there in England, and they kind of helps us to, to keep in touch. But I don't post much to a wider audience. I can't be bothered. But maybe I should be bothered. Even if it was just once a month, maybe I could post something that points to Jesus and his kingdom, a verse or something. Because social media, I think, is the modern equivalent of the street corner, the place where you're going to catch the most number of people. And remember, we're not literally inviting people to a royal wedding banquet, as exciting as that would be. That's just the analogy. We're inviting people to something far more important and wonderful we're inviting people into god's eternal kingdom we're inviting them to turn away from darkness and have their lives illuminated by the light of christ we're inviting them to be freed from the cords of death to embrace the fullness of life that jesus offers life that begins now and stretches into eternity is there anyone that doesn't need that I don't think so. Amazingly, God's offer of forgiveness and eternal life is open to anyone who will repent and put their trust in Jesus, follow Jesus. There is no one to whom we should not offer this invitation in the hope that they'll respond positively to it. Uh, Jew and Gentile, people from every nation, tribe, and language, male and female, young and old, rich and poor, drug addicts, prostitutes, the homeless, the the marginalized, as well as those who are more acceptable within our society. People who often think, well, you know, there is a God and I am judged. Well, I'll be okay because I'm a good person. Not realizing that none of us are truly good. We all fall so far short of the glory of God. And then there's the unlikely, the aggressive atheist the self-assured executive who doesn't have time for that sort of thing, the slightly intimidating, scary-looking biker, or whoever it is, especially invite the unlikely, because they're the people who are least likely to have been invited, especially invite them. And if we invite enough people, we will, as the parable showed, encounter a range of responses. Some will be too busy with other things. Remember the parable, one went to his field, another to his business, and it's like that now. In the modern world, there's seemingly an endless number of things that are competing for our attention. We, and I use we in the, in the general sense of our society, we're absorbed. Absorbed with our careers and our hobbies and our pastimes and our relationships. We're distracted by social media and entertainment and gossip and shopping, by two, nine, by two get nine free. And we're lured and trapped by drink and drugs and promiscuity and uh, uh, pornography and all kinds of other negative things. That's where our society is at. And most people never stop to seriously consider what it is that God is inviting them to, what it is that he's offering and so they remain satisfied with their dissatisfaction because we know actually that none of the things that i've just mentioned can really satisfy us at a deep level c.s lewis wrote this we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So a lot of people you come across will be distracted and disinterested. They won't want to know. Others might be hostile. Remember in the parable, the king's servants were mistreated and killed. Now, you won't be killed for sharing the gospel, at least not here in Australia. In other parts of the world, uh, people are being killed for sharing the gospel. However, here, you might be uh, mocked or ostracized or looked down on because some will be hostile. Sometimes you hear people say, well, don't shoot the messenger. They can't shoot God, so they're going to shoot the messenger, metaphorically. They're going to have a go at you. Some people will be hostile. That's a reality. But others will accept the invitation with joy and excitement. Remember in the parable, the wedding hall was filled with guests. And when you find someone who's eager to accept God's invitation, it's a beautiful thing. Nothing compares to it. So in Jesus' parable, uh, there was this man in the wedding hall who's not supposed to be there. Listen to verses 11 and 12 again. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. So what are these wedding clothes that the man wasn't wearing? Uh, Well, it could imply that the king had provided beautiful clothes for all of the guests. And there's this man who turns up and he said, well, I don't need those clothes. There's nothing wrong with my clothes. In that case, the wedding clothes would represent righteousness, our right standing before God. We are made right before God because of what Jesus has done for us. He's taken our sin and wrongdoing upon himself, and he has clothed us with his righteousness. He's exchanged our sin for his righteousness, his right standing before God. He's exchanged our filthy rags for his beautiful uh, wedding banquet clothes. So the man who turns up in his own clothes is basically saying, I don't need God's righteousness. I'm a good person. Which is probably exactly the way that the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the people that Jesus was primarily directing this at, probably the way they saw things. They're upright. They're righteous. They're right in God's sight. So In other words, um, this man, he thinks he can earn his way into the wedding banquet, earn his way into God's kingdom but he can't and neither can we. Earlier I mentioned the Queen's Garden Parties which are all about recognizing and rewarding public service. So I guess you could say that the guests deserve to be there. They've all done something exceptionally kind or generous or entrepreneurial or uh, philanthropic that benefits uh, society as a whole. And they're out there on the lawn sipping tea and eating nice cakes because of something good that they've done. They're there on their merit. But the wedding banquet in Jesus' parable, uh, God's kingdom, is very different because none of the guests deserve to be there. They're all completely undeserving. The guests are there because God is loving and merciful and willing to forgive all those who truly repent. And that, in a nutshell, is the good news that we have to share with people. But the consequences of rejecting God's love and generosity or trying to gatecrash the party based on our own merits, the consequences are very serious indeed. Listen to the last part of the parable. And this would have sounded quite jarring, I think, when you heard it earlier. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are invited but few are chosen you might say what does Jesus mean for many are invited but few are chosen how do I know if I'm chosen well if you love Jesus and you follow him and you run your race to the end of your life then you that's the evidence that you're chosen remember we're not invited because we are good or because we deserve to enter God's kingdom. We're invited on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. Everyone is invited on the basis of what Jesus has done for them. The invitation is open to all and sundry. Nobody is excluded, but many will exclude themselves. But accepting this invitation will radically change the way that we live our lives. So let's live as a people who have gratefully received and responded to this unbelievable offer. Eternal life in God's kingdom, even though we don't deserve it. And let us ensure that that invitation, God's invitation, continues to go out to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word tells us that you want all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. You extend your invitation to everyone, but many are just not interested. Father, we think of those messengers going out to the street corners in the parable, and we recognize that that role now falls to us. And we pray that we'll be willing to, Not only to offer this invitation, but willing to accept whatever response we encounter. Even if it means a bit of social embarrassment. Father, help us to be ambassadors of your word. Not just through what we say, but through what we do and the way that we live our lives. Help us to love people wholeheartedly and to love one another as you have loved us.